0: I will lift you up high, God, the true king. I will bless your name forever and always. I will bless you every day. I will praise your name forever and always. The Lord is great and so worthy of praise. God's greatness can't be grasped. One generation will praise your works to the next one, proclaiming your mighty acts. They will talk about the glorious splendor of your majesty. I will contemplate your wondrous works. They will speak of the power of your awesome deeds. I will declare your great accomplishments. They will rave in celebration of your abundant goodness. They will shout joyfully about your righteousness. The Lord is merciful and compassionate, very patient and full of faithful love. The Lord is good to everyone and everything. God's compassion extends to all his handiwork. All that have made gives thanks to you, Lord. All your faithful ones bless you. They speak of the glory of your kingdom. They talk all about your power to inform all human beings about God's power. And the majestic glory of God's kingdom. Your kingdom is a kingship that lasts forever. Your rule endures for all generations. The Lord is trustworthy in all that he says. Faithful in all that he does. The Lord supports all who fall down. Straightens up all who are bent low. All eyes look to you. Hoping and you give them their food right on time opening your hand and satisfying the desire of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all His ways, faithful in all His deeds. The Lord is close to everyone who calls out to Him, to all who call out to Him sincerely. God shows favor to those who honor Him, listening to their cries for help and saving them. The Lord protects all who love Him, but He destroys every wicked person. My mouth will proclaim the Lord's praise, and every living thing will bless God's holy name forever and always. You can clap. It's journey. Today we continue our sermon series called He Is... Today, we continue with another characteristic, another description of God. He is lion and he is lamb. Now, today, I do not intend to pull the wool over your eyes. I want to give you the lion's share of what we're going through. That in this sermon series, he is, we're asking the very simple question, who is God? And now there's no defining God. We can't place God in a box. We can't contain God. We can't say, that's God. And that's a complete definition of God. No. God cannot be defined. But what we're doing in this sermon series is we're looking at what the Bible says about who God is. And we're looking at our world and seeing how God works in our world. And in the process of doing that, we are growing, hopefully, closer to God. And also learning about who we have been created to be. So, who is this God? I invite you to stand as we read from our memory verse. In Revelation chapter 22, verse 13, these are the words of Jesus. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Lord, you are the Alpha and the Omega. You are the first and the last. Lord, you are the beginning and you are the end. You are God. You are supernatural. You are love. You are forgiving. You are the lion and the lamb. So Lord, I ask today, you teach us what that means. Speak to us each individually in a way that we need to hear. So that we may follow you all the days of our lives. We pray these things in the name that never fails. In the name of Jesus and all God's people said, Amen. You may be seated. My hands were so tightly clenched around the steering wheel that the blood began to rush from my knuckles. I was only driving at a speed of about 40 kilometers per hour, which is like 25 miles per hour but I was driving on the right side of the car, on the left side of the road. And now, to call it a road would be misleading, because this was no road. It was as wide and far-reaching as a bike path. On the left side of the car, my wife, Tara, was navigating our way through the rolling green hills of Cork County, Southern Ireland. After a number of wrong turns on my part, and after multiple rounds around the same roundabout, we finally reached our destination as we pulled onto a long gravel road leading to the Blarney Castle and Gardens. We stepped out of the car and into the world of lush green gardens overhanging with trees. As we walked through acres and acres of this green garden, it was majestic. It was beautiful. It was full of life. Everything was green. It made you feel alive. Like the very earth, the very soil beneath your feet was refreshing your soul. The gardens were amazing. But the main attraction here at the Blarney Castle and Gardens is the stone. The Blarney Stone. And apparently we were on our way to go kiss the Blarney Stone. Because as legend has it, kissing the Blarney Stone gives you the gift of eloquence. Or the gift of persuasion, depending on who you talk to. I asked, Ter... Do we really have to do this? She responded, of course. And so we set out to kiss the Blarney Stone. We did so not because we thought we were uneloquent or anything, but we figured we're here, so why not? As we approached the Blarney Castle, I began to imagine what type of jewel this might be. What type of gemstone? Maybe it's a a bedazzled jewel, a a fiery red ruby, or a deep ocean blue sapphire. As we ascended the cramped and steep staircase, I continued to, to think about this. What gemstone awaited my lips? Is this jasper, carnelian, topaz, emerald? As we made our way out of this cramped, steep staircase, out of the musky, damp climb, we stood atop the Blarney Castle, overlooking the beautiful countryside of Southern Ireland. And I noticed that the hills and the trees themselves looked this emerald green. And I continue to think about, what is the Blarney Stone going to look like? Maybe quartz or jade. Maybe the Blarney Stone is actually a diamond. The rain began to fall lightly. And the wind began to pick up. Kept us on our toes as we were inching our way through the line. To go and kiss the Blarney Stone. When we reached the front of the line. Tara laid down on her back and hung upside down. And laid a big fat smooch on the Blarney Stone. And it was my turn. I laid down and hung upside down. And I puckered up, ready to kiss the blarney stone. My eyes were searching and searching. Where is this fiery red ruby? Where is this ocean blue sapphire gem? Apparently, I was taking too long. The safety man uh, asked me, Did you kiss it yet? My eyes kept searching, where is this jade? Where is this carnelian, this topaz, this quartz that I'm supposed to be kissing? Where is this famous blarney stone, this precious, precious stone? All I could see before my eyes was what looked like a smooth patch of concrete. And I exclaimed, that's it? That's it? No, jasper, no carnelian, no topaz, no emerald. That's it. No quartz, no jade, no diamond. That's it. No no fiery red ruby. No ocean blue sapphire. That's it. It was a gray slab of limestone. I felt like this was absolutely extraordinary. Completely unexpected, I felt rather let down. That's it. Huh. Our text in view today is a very bizarre scene. very bizarre scene of scrolls and thrones and lions and lambs. Of elders and angelic beings and golden bulls and... Creatures with far too many horns and eyes and musical instruments. How bizarre. How bizarre. Our text comes to us from Revelation chapter 5. Would you turn in your Bibles with me there? It reads, Then I saw a scroll in the right hand of the one seated on the throne. It had writing on the front and the back, And it was sealed with seven seals. I saw a powerful angel who proclaimed in a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or look inside it. So I began to weep and weep because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look inside it. What in the world is going on here? Well, this is nothing in our world. This is otherworldly. We're located here in the heavenly throne room. This is the vision of John or the revelation to John. John of Patmos. Here in chapter 5 is one of the visions that he receives. These, these visions deal with past, present, and future realities. Here in chapter 5, this vision is all surrounded by this, this one who's seated on the throne. And there's a scroll in his right hand. This scroll has writing on the front and on the back. And it's sealed with seven seals. The waxy, latchy kind, not the oceanic, fish-eating kind. Just to make things clear. But who sealed it? Probably God. Why is it sealed? Probably because it's really important. You know, in the first century context, it was Roman law that your will, you know, the document that you write to include the children you love and exclude the children you don't love as much. You're supposed to seal it by law with seven seals because it's considered to be an important document. Well, the seal that's in the right hand of the one seated on the throne is far more important. It's a seal that it's a scroll that reveals the plans and prophecies and judgments of God to come. John is seeing this all unfold. And then he hears a strong angel proclaim in a loud voice, Who is worthy to take the scroll and open its seals? But no one is able. No one is found worthy in heaven, on earth, or under the earth. And at this, John begins to weep uncontrollably, violently. Because no one is found worthy. Worthy. Verse 5 says, then one of the elders said to me, don't weep. Look, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David has emerged victorious. The Greek is nikao. Nikao can be translated as overcome or conquered. It's actually where that multi-billion dollar company, Nike, gets its name. Nikao, I overcome, I Conquer. So the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has overcome or has conquered or has emerged victorious so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. So the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, is worthy to take the scroll and open its seals. But who is this worthy lion? First, we find out that this lion is of the tribe of Judah. Those two concepts, lion and the tribe of Judah, are are very uncommon in Scripture, actually. You only see them in three different places. One here in Revelation chapter 5, verse 5. Another time in Hosea chapter 5, verse 14, which talks about God as a lion ripping apart Judah. And then in Genesis chapter 49... Verse 9, as Jacob blesses Judah. Which reads, Judah is a lion's cub. From the prey, my son, you rise up. He lies down and crouches like a lion, like a lioness. Who dares disturb him? What's going on here? Well, what's all of this about? Well, I think it's a messianic interpretation of Genesis 49.9. In other words, what's happening here is that this is pointing to the reality that the Messiah is going to come from the tribe of Judah. So we've got this lion of the tribe of Judah, but then we also get another description that this lion is of the tribe of Judah plus the root of David. I think that this is pointing to Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1, that a shoot will grow up from the stump of ...of Jesse, who happens to be David's father. A branch will sprout up from his roots. This seems to be an allusion to how the Messiah or the Savior would come through the line of David. So with these two descriptions, line of the tribe of Judah plus the root of David, you get the Messiah. You get Jesus. That Jesus is this lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of... Of David. Well, what's so significant about Jesus as a lion? Lions are ferocious. Lions are powerful and strong. You don't want to mess around with a lion. Scientific name of a lion is Panthera leo. Lions typically weigh between 300 and 570 pounds... Typical length from the tip of the nose to the tip of the tail of about 12 feet. Standing at a typical height of about 4 feet tall. Their roar can reach up to 114 decibels. That's comparable to a jumbo jet flying about 100 feet over your head. With a bite force of about 700 pounds. Their canine teeth measure about 2.4 inches long. That's the length of a Great white shark's tooth. Lions are highly effective killing machines. Lions are powerful and dangerous. He is lion means he is powerful and he is dangerous. But did you know that Satan is also described as a lion in scripture? In 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, it says, Stay alert, watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. But when faced by the lion of the tribe of Judah, this Satan lion prowling around and roaring is more like a mere house cat. The prowling around turns into fleeing, and the roaring turns into meowing. Because he is powerful, he is mighty, he is strong. Do you need that power in your life? Do you feel weak? Do you feel worn out? Do you feel powerless in your situation? Maybe you feel trapped. Maybe you need some power. Well, you're in luck today. Because our God is a powerful God. If you don't believe me, look at your hands. God made those. Look at your feet. God made those too. Look at the the ground. God made that. God created and fashioned human life and the earth on which we stand and the galaxy in which we live in the universe or the potential of universes he has created. God is powerful. And maybe you need that power in your life where you're saying, God, there are mountains in my life that need to be moved. No problem for God because He's the one who invented the whole idea of mountains, right? But have you ever thought, you know, I I, I need God to move some mountains. Have you ever thought that maybe God is moving mountains? But maybe it's not fitting your lifestyle or your timing. Do you know that Mount Everest is moving right now? Because of a continental plate, it grows every single year at a rapid rate of four millimeters per year. If Mount Everest can move. I think God can move the mountains in your life, but maybe they are. And maybe the power that you need is not so much. God, would you just take this situation and and flip it over and make it like this and like that? Something completely different. Maybe you just need patience, the power to be patient. And faithful and available and teachable in those situations where you might find yourself. Maybe God is moving mountains. but It's on His time. For His purposes. According to His will. God is powerful. Completely powerful. But you don't worship power. That's what a professor of mine said quite animatedly. And adamantly, you don't worship power. He said, if God is only a God of power and not a God of love and goodness, he said, I would go straight to hell flipping him the bird. His words, not mine. But I worship a God. Who is not just a God of power. I don't worship a God who is just power. I worship a God who is power and loving and good and caring and steadfast. Power without love gets you Hitler, Stalin and Mao. Power, sure. But not love and not goodness. He is power means he is characterized by love. And my goodness. And we see this in the text that I read. As we first began today. In Psalm 145. We see it in verse 13a. Your kingdom is a kingship. That lasts forever. Your rule endures for. Not some generations. Not a few generations. All generations. That's powerful. The Lord supports all who fall down. Straightens up all who are bent low. That's. Loving. The Lord is righteous in all his ways, faithful in all his deeds. That's good. As we turn back to Revelation, we see this whole scene about John weeping. Because he thought that no one could open the scroll. But but here we see, don't weep. Look, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has emerged victorious. So that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. So let's see what the lion is about to do here. Let's check out what the lion, this great, strong, ferocious lion, is about to conquer And about to accomplish. Verse 6 says. Then in between the throne. And the four living creatures. And among the elders. I saw a. Is that a typo? Because I was looking for a different four letter word. I was looking for a lion. But here we got a lamb. That's it? I saw a lamb standing as if it had been slain. I was looking for a lion the whole time. You know, the thing with a mane and claws and canine teeth and muscles. But here we see a lamb. That's it? I mean, there's an inconsistent shift within the animal imagery here. We go from a lion to a lamb, that's it. From a carnivore to an herbivore, that's it. I can go higher too. It doesn't make sense. We go from the strong, ferocious beast to a lamb, that's it. This is crazy. And this lamb that gets revealed is a slaughtered lamb of all lambs. That's it. That is it. We, like John, might have been expecting to see a strong, ferocious lion. But instead, we see a meek and lowly lamb. A lamb that is sacrificed. The Passover lamb, which represents the death of Jesus. But behold, check it out. Look look and see. This lamb is not dead. This lamb is not dying. This lamb is standing. He is lion means he is powerful. He is lamb means he is tender. He is loving. He is caring. He is self-sacrificing. Our text continues. It, referring to the Lamb standing as if it had been slain, had seven horns. A horn is an image from the, in, the Old Testament used to describe or to uh, signify power or strength or authority. And seven means it's the fullness. So you have the, the fullness of power and authority and seven eyes, which are God's seven spirits. Seven eyes refers to the wisdom, the discernment in its fullness of God's seven spirits, which might refer to the sevenfold ministry of the Holy Spirit. Things like the fear of God and counsel and might and so forth. It had seven horns and seven eyes, which are God's seven spirits, sent out into the whole earth. He came forward and took the scroll from the right hand of the one seated on the throne. When he took the scroll, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb. Each held a harp and gold bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. They took up a new song saying, you are worthy to take the scroll and open its seals because you were slain. And by your blood, you purchased for God persons from every tribe, language, people and nation. You made them a kingdom and priests to our God and they will rule on earth. Tender lamb, Jesus here gets a bowing ovation. You know that a bowing ovation is so much better than a standing ovation? Here it is in Jesus' case. Why is this tender lamb receiving all this ovation? Why is this tender lamb Jesus considered worthy? Because He, Jesus, has conquered like a lion, defeating sin and death, by and through at the cross by his lamb-like tender sacrifice. Jesus conquered the enemies of God like a powerful lion, while simultaneously, at the same time, Carrying away the sins of the world. And his death as a sacrificed lamb. Do you need Jesus to take away your sins? Of course. But are you holding on to the sins. That Jesus has died for. Are you holding on to the things. That Jesus has paid the penalty for holding on to sin is like trying to go swimming with bowling balls. You, know, you got your twelve-pound ball in one hand, you got your twelve-pound ball in the other, and you you step up to the diving board and do a big old swan dive and sink straight to the bottom of the pool because these weights. Are pulling you down. And these are the things that Jesus has freed us from, rescued us from, but yet we're still holding on to this hardship, to this pain, to this sin that we have wrought upon ourselves. What's your bullying, ball? what's the thing that's pulling you down? Is it worry? Is it guilt? Is it regret? Is it anger? Unforgiveness, frustration, where it's pulling you deeper and deeper. So there's no life of faith, no discipleship, because you're holding on to these bowling balls while trying to swim. There's no doing freestyle. There's no breaststroke. There's no butterfly. Nothing is working. We're just sinking under the weight of our sin, the sin that we have been freed of. You know, you can't hold a bowling ball passively You can only do it with active strength. I think it's time to let it go. I think it's about time to leave those things in the past, to leave those things in the grave where they were taken care of. If you're here today and you're struggling with this, which I think most of us might be, I want you to know, I need you to know that Jesus is the lion and the lamb who overcomes and carries our pain. So if you're suffering here today, the circumstances of your life are so hard and tragic and difficult, I need you to know that Jesus is the lion and the lamb who overcomes and carries our pain. If you're lonely here today, feel lost here today, I need you to know that Jesus is the lion and the lamb who overcomes and carries our pain. I I, I don't think you're getting it. If you're feeling broken here today, I need you to know that Jesus is the lion and the lamb who overcomes and carries our pain. And if you are feeling guilty today, the things you've done wrong, the things you've done, maybe the things that you've left undone, I need you to know, seriously, that Jesus, He is the Lion and the Lamb who overcomes and carries our pain. And this ovation, it rages on. In verse 11... Then I looked and I heard the sound of many angels surrounding the throne, the living creatures and the elders. They numbered in the millions, thousands upon thousands. They said in a loud voice, worthy is the slaughtered lamb to receive power, wealth, wisdom and might and honor, glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea. I heard everything everywhere say, blessing, honor, glory and power belong to the one seated." on the throne and to the lamb forever and always then the four living creatures said amen you know amen is not just like the end of the prayer amen is an expression of trust and confidence truly so be it so when you're praying god would you would you help me to to let these things go Would you help me in this circumstance that's right in front of me? When you say amen, you're saying, God, may it be fulfilled. I'm putting my trust in you to act according to your will and your purpose. So if I'm up here praying for a Ferrari, a Lamborghini, and a Maserati, and I say amen, it doesn't necessarily mean automatically I'm going to get those things, even if I say amen. Truly. May it be fulfilled. Because maybe those things aren't in God's will for my life. Maybe they are. I'm not saying they aren't. But I'm not that great at driving stick shift, so it wouldn't be very good. Don't judge me. I'll forgive you. You can let that bowling ball go, all right? Seriously. The four living creatures said, Amen. Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. And so what we're going to do is we're going to get into some worship here. I'm going to welcome the band back up. But as I hung, sprawled out, searching for the Blarney Stone, I didn't realize what was before my eyes the whole entire time. That it was there. There. This gray concrete limestone slab, to me it was nothing extraordinary. Nothing extraordinary and kind of a letdown. But do you know what is never a letdown? You know what was and is and always will be extraordinary? As Jesus hung, sprawled out, nailed to a Roman cross, he realized exactly what was in front of him that it was you, and it was me, and it was our sin and our death, and the sin and the death of our world. And he conquered it like a strong lion as He gave His life as the sacrificial Lamb. So may you come to see that He is the Lion and the Lamb, that He is powerful and He is tender. And may that reality sink deep into our lives that we serve a powerful God. We serve a tender loving God. And therefore our love and how we live our lives should be characterized by the power and the boldness that He fills us with. But to show that and give that love in tender honest ways as He gave Himself for us. Who has believed our message? To whom has the Lord revealed his powerful arm? My servant grew up in the Lord's presence like a tender green shoot, like a root in dry ground. There was nothing beautiful or majestic about his appearance, nothing to attract us to him. He was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows But He was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. All of us like sheep have strayed away. We have left God's paths to follow our own, yet the Lord laid on Him the sins of us all. He was oppressed and treated harshly, yet He never said a word. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep is silent before the shearers, He did not open His mouth. Unjustly condemned, He was led away. No one cared that He died without descendants, that His life was cut short in midstream, he was struck down for the rebellion of my people. He had done no wrong and had never deceived anyone. But he was buried like a criminal. He was put in a rich man's grave. But it was the Lord's good plan to crush him and cause him grief. I will give him the honors of a victorious soldier because he exposed himself to death. He was counted among the rebels. He bore the sins of many and interceded for rebels. This is who he is. That's it. That's everything. All that we could ever ask for, he has done for us the greatest love, the greatest sacrifice. He has done it. But the question is, how are you going to respond? Are you going to go back to the old ways and pick up those bowling balls and try and swim on your own strength? Or are you going to walk in the freedom that Jesus gives? And say, I'm done with that chapter in my life. I'm closing the book and I'm living in the light as I walk forward with Jesus for the rest of my days. Because this man of sorrows, this one who's acquainted with deepest grief is acquainted with your sorrows and your griefs. My sorrows and my griefs, he took them once and for all so that we may have everlasting life. He died on the cross and rose from the grave and our old lives and our sin and our destruction and all our evil plans and hateful thoughts. They're dead in the grave. And now we have new life. For He is powerful. and He is tender. His love for you is more powerful than you could know. And the tenderness is, it goes deeper than we could understand. Would you pray with me? Oh Lord Jesus, we thank you, we thank you, we thank you for your sacrifice. For your gift, for your self-sacrificing offering to us. People who do not deserve it. But Lord, I pray that if someone in here today wants to experience your salvation for the very first time, that they would pray a prayer of great power and transformation. That Jesus, would you come into my life? I believe that you died on the cross for my sins like a sacrificial lamb. But you rose again from the grave, defeating death once and for all like a conquering lion. So come into my heart. Become my King of kings and Lord of lords. May I follow you all the days of my life. So God, here we are. Would you send us out? Would you challenge us to be people who are full of powerful and tender love. Who carry out your will in a world that is so desperate and so needing of you, God. We love you and give you glory and honor and praise. We give you blessing in the church and in our lives and always. And all God's people said, Amen.